All right, I want to finish up the Big Steps series with you today. This is the wrapping up of the Big Steps series. If you missed parts one, two, three, and four, they are online. All of the audio podcasts you can access easily by clicking on the media button on the Bayside Church website or the app and, uh, and follow the prompts from there. So big step number one that we looked at was believing in God. Big step two was being born again. Big step three, becoming a disciple. Big step four, boldly sharing your faith. And big step five that we're going to look at today is be, being baptised. And so um, here we go. All right. So this message is relevant to everyone. So what I don't want you doing is sitting back going, well, I've been baptised, therefore I don't need to listen to this message because whether you've been baptised or not, this is relevant to you. If you have been baptised today in this message, you will be reminded of wonderful truth of what your baptism means to you. One of the most powerful and memorable messages I ever heard was uh, back in the early 80s, uh, this guy was a uniting church minister, the Reverend Jeffrey Bingham, and uh, he preached a message called, Crawl Back Under Your Baptism. And, uh, you know, I've heard thousands of sermons, and most of them are like meals. You like, you know, you enjoy them at the time, and they do you good, but then you forget about them. Uh, but there are certain messages that I think are fairly memorable, and I remember different messages like that in my life because they were life-changing. And that would have been one of them because it is a constant reminder. I was baptized uh, 40 years ago, but what does that mean to me today? And that's what we're going to explore in this message. Of course, it's also relevant if you've never been baptized by full immersion since confessing your faith in Jesus Christ, um, because that would be a really good big step for you to take. And if you would like to do that, have a chat with Jimmy and Emma or any of our leaders here at Bayside, and they can take your details and follow up on that. So let's have a look at this. Um, first of all, what does baptism mean? By the way, you'll find message notes if you click on the media button, bring up the Frankston uh, messages and click on, um, on the big steps, the current uh, message, and you can follow the message notes or you can take your own. What does baptism mean? Well, the Greek word is baptisma, and it means the result of dipping or sinking. I want you to note here, baptism is not just about the event of being fully immersed. It is the result of what that means. Uh, in Bible days, this was used, uh, the Greek word baptisma was used of dyeing cloth. And so you would take cloth and you would fully immerse it in the dye and the cloth would come out completely different to the way it went in. It is completely transformed. Uh, the word was also used of a ship that sank. So a um, hundred years ago, the Titanic was baptized. It baptismed. <laughs> it sunk. It was fully immersed. All right. And of course, as a result of that, it completely changed. Um, the sinking of a ship, of course, is a very powerful analogy because when it goes down into the water, not, a, not only is it immersed in water, but it is also filled with water. And that's a wonderful picture of us as followers of Jesus Christ because when we are immersed in water, we are also immersed with the Holy Spirit. So we are surrounded by the presence of God. He's all around us and He is in us as well. And so that's what baptism means. The Bible then gives two illustrations to describe 
baptism. First is Christ's death, and the second is Noah's flood. So in Luke 12 and verse 50, Jesus said, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. He's talking about his death. Jesus was immersed into death for us. And then Noah's flood in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, uh, who displayed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism. And so we are immersed um, as, Noah, as the people were in Noah's flood, baptism is the same thing. Martin Luther put it this way, I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed as the word imports and the mystery signifies. John Calvin said, the word baptized signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. And John Wesley said, buried with him alludes to baptizing by immersion according to the custom of the first church. So I believe personally that the Bible teaches baptism by full immersion and I don't think we should water it down. Yeah. Tish, boom. All right. So what happens at baptism? Baptisma, the result of immersion. So baptism is a divine drama in which we identify with the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And so... Um, when we're baptized, we are in water, and as you go back into water, it shows that as Christ died, we died. When we're in the water, as Christ was buried, so we've been buried, and as we come out of water, it signifies as Christ was raised from the dead. So we too are raised to the dead, from the dead. So it's a divine drama, if you like, in which we identify with those things. In Romans 6.4, the Apostle Paul wrote, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, having been buried, buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And so if you've been baptized already, one of the things that you can remind yourself every day is to live in the reality of what took place when you were baptized. So every day, the Apostle Paul said, I die every day. He reminded himself that he was dead to the old Paul and alive to the new one. We need to remind ourselves of that as well. The old Rob Buckingham is dead, thank goodness. The new one has been resurrected and every day we choose to live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's what baptism means. Let me just, uh, in this message, give you six reasons why we should be baptized and what this means to us who have been baptized. First of all, because God approves of it. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. The word righteousness there is an interesting word. It means literally the approval of God. And so Jesus, he's saying here, this is the right thing to do. 
God approves of baptism, and baptism is uh, signifying the approval of God on our life. God approves of you. And if you remember the baptism story, the baptism of Jesus, when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. It looked like a dove descending. It wasn't a dove. It was just like a dove, just gently resting on him. And then this voice was heard from heaven. This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. There's a wonderful truth right here, church. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't, di- he, did, he hadn't done anything. He hadn't started his ministry. He'd worked uh, as a carpenter. He'd been to Torah school. He'd learned the scriptures, but he hadn't really done anything. He hadn't started his ministry. This is the start of it right now. And at the very start of his ministry, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. I want you to see yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ with the approval of God upon you. Your baptism signifies that God approves of you. You are his son, his daughter, whom he loves, in whom he is well pleased before you do anything. This is liberating because I find in myself and I see in a lot of other people the the temptation to do things in order to win approval. Maybe we try and win approval of parents or, or um, a significant other in our life. Maybe we're always trying to do things because we're trying to win the approval of other people. And then we bring that mindset into our Christian life. I better do this and then God will be pleased. No, no, no. We do things because God is pleased. We do things because we're already approved. That is a liberating truth. And so if you see that in you, as I do in myself on a regular basis, we need to die to that and live to the fact that I'm in his approval. I am his son, whom he loves, in whom he is well pleased. And it's out of that that I then serve. That's incredibly liberating. Number two, because Jesus commanded it. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so we're baptized because baptism is part and parcel of the gospel. Our goal, our mission in life is to make disciples of other people as we have opportunity to share faith and and to um, help them through the big steps Um, and and that is part and parcel of the gospel of Jesus. Number three, because it is the gateway to forgiveness and blessing. Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is the gateway to forgiveness and blessing. Remember, uh, what, what happened to Jesus was that he, um, he, he was baptized and then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there he was tested and tempted and then he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are forgiven and we are blessed through baptism. Number four, because it removes all reasons for discrimination. And this has got to be one of my favorites. Baptism is the great unifier. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. So in Christ Jesus, 
You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. I want you to think about that for a moment. If we've been baptized, we have clothed ourselves with Christ. I'm glad to see that everyone here got dressed. Just saying. I mean, (laughs) everyone's welcome, but seriously, you know, we look better dressed than naked. Well, most people do. Have you ever had one of those horrible dreams where you are somewhere and you've forgotten to dress? How awful are those dreams? In, in 1992, when I pioneered Bayside Church, we were meeting in the funeral parlour uh, in, in Cheltenham, and, uh, and I had this dream one night where I had turned up to church, and I was at W.D. Rosenson's funeral chapel, and I was standing in front of the congregation, preaching, in the, preaching the Word of God, and wondering why I forgot to put clothes on. It was a really distressing dream. And you know, everyone in the congregation seemed fine. Let me tell you, if I was standing here without clothes on today, you would not be fine. It would mess with your heads. In fact, probably most of you would leave and say, Rob Buckingham, the ministry finally got to him. <laughs> it, was, it was a disturbing dream. And it was weird. I'm like, why didn't I dress? I'm preaching the word. I'm standing here. Why did I forget to put clothes on? Why am I standing here in front of everyone naked? This is awful. No one seems to know. No one seems to mind. This is weird. And then I woke up. Oh, thank goodness. Yes, exactly. My heart was thumping. I was drenched with sweat. Like just that awful thing. When we get dressed, we look better. We look different. And baptism here in Galatians says that when we're baptized, we have been clothed with Christ. That's a wonderful truth. So in other words, when God looks at us, He doesn't look at us with all of our faults and failings. He looks at us as clothed in Christ. So the righteousness of Christ, the relationship that Christ had with the Father is our relationship with the Father. This is wonderful truth. When we are clothed, we look different. And that's what we need to bring into the church with us. We've been clothed with Christ. All of our brothers and sisters have been clothed with Christ as well. And so we need to stop seeing each other through differences. We need to start seeing each other through our similarities. And in fact, can I say, we need to start looking at all people with what we have in common rather than what we have in difference to them. Too often the church gives a message of us and them. We're right, you're wrong. We've got it together, you haven't. All of those kind of messages which tend to repel people rather than attract people. Over the centuries, the church has got it very wrong on lots of different issues. Um, Many years ago, of course, um, people of colour were looked at uh, as second-class citizens. Uh, The slave trade was justified with... Uh, the way people interpreted the Bible, uh, by and large. And so it went back many, many years ago uh, when uh, Ham looked upon Noah's nakedness. Uh, Then 
when Noah realised what had happened, uh, he cursed Ham. And it was believed that the people of colour came out of Ham's descendants. And so it was okay to treat people of colour uh, as slaves and all of that because they were a cursed people. They were viewed as second-class citizens. Now, I see we have a number of people from Africa and India and probably other nations in our church today, and praise God, I love you. And praise God that we, we, have, we have changed uh, in the church because hundreds of years ago, the church got it horribly wrong and justified slavery because people with colored skin were looked at as second-class citizens. You know, indigenous people in Australia were looked at as not fully human until I think it was 1967. They were classified as flora and fauna. As recent as 1967. And treated uh, as second-rate citizens as a result. These things should not be so, but they were. A few years ago, we did a, a short trip to the outback and we met this lovely... Um, uh, distinguished Indigenous elder, uh, Uncle Graham Poulsen. He was the first uh, Aboriginal person to be ordained. Uh, but the Baptist Church didn't know what to do with him because there wasn't a pathway for Indigenous people to be ordained. So they put him on the same track as women. And so he was allowed to become a deacon, but, but not a pastor. Uh, praise God that's now changed. But we used to look at people through all of these differences. Where Paul here in Galatians is saying, when we're baptized, we're all clothed with Christ. We should look at each other as Jesus. Amen. Justifying slavery, the rich looking down on the poor. Uh, in this day and age, treating gay people like second-class citizens. All this is wrong. We need to start looking at each other as in Christ. And that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. But we are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, in Jesus, all racial, gender, and economic barriers tumble down, or at least they should. And we then apply that to our own life and our own attitude toward other people. We start seeing people as precious and valuable and yeah, okay, so we might all be a little bit different, but we have more in similarity than we do in difference. We are all made in the image of God. We are all loved by God. And the gospel is for everybody. God loves everyone. Jesus died and rose again for everyone. Therefore, everyone should be worthy and welcomed. That's what baptism signifies. Number five, because it is the point of no return. In other words, baptism is a line of demarcation in the Christian's life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And so he's talking here about the book of Exodus. The people of Israel were in slavery for 400 years. He sent them a Messiah by the name of Moses to be their saviour, to be their liberator. Uh, you can read the story in, in Exodus. It's, the book is much better than the movie. And, uh, and then over the process of time, led them out of Egypt and eventually into the promised land. And they passed through the Red Sea. 
And so the story goes that the sea was parted, the people of Israel walked through the sea as if on dry land and out to the other side, and then the sea uh, covered over again. It was a line of demarcation as they passed through the sea, it symbolizes them being baptized into their saviour, Moses. They were followers of Moses. And when the sea covered again, that was that line of demarcation, it was the, the point of no return. It tells us that later they went back into Egypt in their hearts, but they couldn't go back there physically because it had been covered over. Baptism is that for us. When I got baptized, it was cutting off Rob Buckingham's old life. I was like, I'm not going back. I can't go back. I don't want to go back. And you need to crawl back under your baptism on a regular basis. It's interesting how, how the past... Uh, we tend to look at the past sometimes through rose-colored glasses, is it not? We look back and, oh, how good this was and how good that was. And if you were back there, you wouldn't think it was as good as you think it is now. So don't go back. Baptism is that line of demarcation. If you've been baptized by full immersion, your past has been cut off. And you need to be like the people of Israel moving forward then to embrace the promised land. It is the line of demarcation. It's interesting to note that in countries where Christians are persecuted, baptism is actually looked at as a more powerful um, step, big step, than confessing faith in Jesus Christ, of being born again. In Christianity today, uh, April the 13th, um, this year, it had this article, which I think is really interesting. Within Islamic settings, Muslims equate baptism with salvation. Seekers from Islam investigating a relationship with Jesus Christ can explain away many of their activities. If they're discovered reading the Bible, they can claim that they are studying it in order to debate Christians more intelligently. If they're seen sneaking into a church building, they can accuse such excuse such behavior in the same way. If seen talking to a pastor or some Western Christian, seekers can suggest that they were simply observed witnessing, lifting up the attributes of Islam but they can't explain away baptism, there is no acceptable excuse. Muslims believe that at baptism, a person no longer belongs to Islam, but to Christianity. They have left one community and joined another. The local community says that when converts are baptized, they have left Muhammad and joined with Jesus. At baptism, persecution soars because identification with Jesus is real irrevocable and forever. Baptism is the point of no return. Isn't that fascinating? And that's the way we need to see it too. And then number six, finally, because it, baptism declares that you are clean. In Jesus' day, people were baptized at every major life event. Uh, in, in, in fact, they were, they were constantly wet almost, it seemed. When someone was single and they became engaged, they would be baptized. When the engaged person got married, they would be baptized. When a disciple became a rabbi, they would become baptized. The most common reason to be baptized was when someone was being declared to be ceremonially clean by the Old Testament law. And so women, when they had their monthly cycle, for example, when that was over, they would have to go to the temple and be baptized. There were all of these different reasons 
for people to be baptized. When anyone was unclean, if they had associated with a Gentile, they'd have to go back and be baptized. If they had um, uh, touched something unclean, so uh, blood or, um, or a football, uh, well, even though they didn't have them back then, but if you, if you were still under the Old Testament rules now, every time you touch a pigskin leather football, you would be ceremonially unclean and you should be baptized if you were under the Old Testament, which are, we are not, so it's fine, if you see what I mean. And so they were constantly wet. Uh, we see this in Matthew 8, verses 1 to 4. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And so baptism was a declaration to the community that the unclean person was now clean and that they could touch them without being contaminated themselves. Likewise, New Testament baptism is a powerful public statement that says, I was once unclean, but now I am clean because of the completed work of Jesus Christ for me. Is that not good news? Wonderful. 